And uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me now to the book of Daniel once again. Daniel chapter 9. And this morning we'll be looking at uh, the first 19 verses there. So this is page 1387. 1387 in your pew Bibles. And uh, this is a prayer of Daniel's, kind of stuck right in the middle of of all of these visions, visions of, of Daniel's time and visions of the end. We're going to wrap up our, our series of, on Daniel uh, this morning, looking at uh, chapter 9. Um, feel free to continue on with your study of the last, uh, last couple of chapters, 10, 11, and 12. We're not going to dive into those on Sunday mornings, but I uh, invite you to continue on, especially if your small groups are, are studying that material, uh, to continue on with the study. But we're going to wrap up with this text from Daniel 9. So let's look at God's word to us this morning. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us, for the Lord our God 
is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be referring to a few of the verses here. It may may be helpful for you. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I think you heard it as much as I did. I wish we could just get back to normal. I wish we could just get back to normal. COVID-19 brought it on, I think. Christmas gatherings were canceled. Others went virtual. Travel was at a minimum. I know I said it. I think you probably did too. I can't wait till things get back to normal. Many of you know that Jackie and I uh, planned our sabbatical for just about the time COVID was kicking off as well. And as we sort of canceled our travel plans one by one, I remember thinking, we'll do this next year when things get back to normal. When things get back to normal. And sadly, many of us are still saying those words even today, aren't we? I mean, the supply chains are a mess. Ships are stacked up outside of our ports. Shipping containers linger on the docks. There aren't enough truck drivers to get our goods from point A to point B. Inflation is heating up. My fellow last-minute shoppers are finding empty store shelves, and our loved ones are going to be just a little more disappointed. And you just want to shout, when are things going to get back to normal? Back to normal. Well, welcome to Daniel's world. Welcome to Daniel's world. Because the Jews wanted to get back to normal as well. When are we going to get back to normal? When are we going to get out of Babylon? They wanted back to their homes, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem, back to their villages, back to the familiar and the friendly. They wanted to put this whole Babylonian adventure behind them. When would it happen? Well, it just so happens that here in chapter 9, we read that that time is finally drawing near. 
The time for going home is finally drawing near. That's what these first two verses in our text are about. Daniel is aware from reading the prophet Jeremiah that the exile will not last forever. Rather, Jeremiah tells us a couple of times, really, we're probably most familiar with Jeremiah 29, that that the, the exile will only last 70 years. This is what the Lord says, 29 verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. To bring you back. Back to normal. When 70 years are completed, 70 years in Babylon. Now Daniel was probably pretty good at counting. He was more than likely in his 80s by now, and so he knew that that 70 years was coming close. And besides that, here in this verse we read that there has now been a change in regime. Right? The Babylonians are out and the Medes and the Persians are in. Darius, the Mede is in. Babylon and the line of Nebuchadnezzar is out. Things are changing. And everyone knows it. Yeah, sure, the soldiers still wander the streets, but if you look closely, their uniforms are just a little bit different. And yeah, there are still military vehicles patrolling the roads, but now they're colored desert sand instead of olive green. And there are different flags flying over the government buildings. And there's a new currency that's beginning to pop up in the local shops. And there's also talk on the streets of more than just another child tax credit in our stockings this year, but there's talk actually of, of going home. And news like that, friends, news like that spreads really, really fast. I remember an old um, episode of of MASH, the television show. There was a time when Henry Blake, the colonel, got a phone call from one of his generals, and the general said, Henry, the war is is over. The peace talks have succeeded, and and this isn't news for uh, for, for publicity yet or publicizing yet, but the war is over. And so, just keep it under your hat, Henry, but know that we're going to be going home soon. By the time Henry walked outside of his tent, the whole camp was blowing horns and and making noise and wearing funny hats and selling their possessions that they didn't need anymore. Word like this spreads really, really fast. Excitement like this spreads really fast. And the people of Judah must have been incredibly excited. And you would think Daniel would have been too. But he's not. Daniel's not excited at all. And if we're going to look at this text realistically and not just use it as an example of, 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 of confession, then we have to ask why. Why wasn't Daniel excited about going home? And the answer comes in the form of his prayer. And, and first of all, what Daniel does in that prayer is this. He acknowledges Israel's sin. He acknowledges everything that we've really been talking about after Thanksgiving and in this section of the book of Daniel. Verses 10 and 11 say this, We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. In other words, we have sinned. And therefore the curses and sworn judgments 
written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. What is Daniel praying there? He's praying, Lord, you have given us exactly what you promised you would give us. We are suffering here in exile all the curses of the covenant, the curses that you warned us about. You said, if you do not keep covenant with me, this is what I will do. I will send you into a foreign land, and you will serve as slaves there, and nothing will go well for you. And here Daniel is saying this is exactly what's happening to us. God is keeping his covenant promises. God is faithful. You know, we love to sing that hymn in this place, don't we? Um, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Well, here in Daniel 9, you find that there's kind of a dark side to God's faithfulness as well. That God is just as faithful to the curses in his covenant as he is to the blessings. If God says that he will punish us, If God says that he will discipline us as a father, he will. He is faithful. And so that's the first thing that Daniel wants to touch on in his prayer. Lord, this suffering, that's coming to an end, but this suffering has been deserved. You are faithful. And and I just want to make a quick little sidebar here. And notice with me that as Daniel prays, Everything is we and us. We have sinned. We have broken your commands. We have broken covenant with you. He doesn't say they. He doesn't point his fingers at the people of Judah. He includes himself in all of this. And I just say that, friends, because we have to remember that, especially in times of confession, especially when facing times of God's discipline and punishment. We have to remember that those times come in our lives for us to examine ourselves. It would be very easy to look at events like the last couple of weeks or a couple of weeks ago, all the tornadoes down in the southern Midwest. It would be very easy to look at events like that and say, well, what did those people do? What sins did they commit that God would punish them in such a way? That's not why those things happen. When God disciplines his people, he wants us to ask, what have I done? Where is my heart not pure? How am I sinning against the Lord? And that's exactly what Daniel does. He doesn't look at the people and say, boy, they really did all this stuff wrong. He looks at himself first, Lord, we have sinned against you. So that's, that's the first thing about Daniel's prayer. It's just, it's just saying we were, you are justified in your action, O oh God. But let's move on. Still, the punishment is over, right? God is bringing them back home. He's bringing them back, back to their land, back to their cities, back to normal. Daniel should be excited about this. But again, he's not. I think verse 13 gets at why Daniel's not very excited. This is what it says. Just 
as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. You can really flip those two lines. All this disaster has come on us just as it's written in the law of Moses, and yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins. By turning from our sins. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, we have suffered all of this punishment and you have brought us to our knees. But it hasn't brought us to that place of grief and regret and shame over our sins. We're not broken, oh God. We're not sad. We're not repentant. Yes, we've been in exile. We've suffered all sorts of scorn and abuse, but it's not driven us to genuine repentance. What Daniel is saying here is he's not so concerned about just getting back to the land. What he's concerned more about is the people who are going back. What are those people like that are going to be going back into the land? Have we learned anything? Have we changed in any way? Are we crushed in spirit over our idolatries? Or are we just going to go back to the land and go back to our old ways? As if this 70 years never happened. It's like Daniel's in prison ministry, right? He knows that unless there's a genuine change of heart, recidivism rates are high. What good is it going to do if we go back to the land, if we have no sense of our sin, if we've gone through no exercise of true repentance, true repentance. Dale Davis puts it this way. He says, Daniel's concern is that there's precious little sadness and mourning among Israel. They've gone through all this disaster and are without home, without temple, without freedom, and sadly, without repentance. So friends, here's the question I think we have to struggle with today. We're all longing to get back to normal. We're all longing for that. And it's right to long for that. But what normal are we longing for? What normal are we really longing for? Are we just looking to get back to that pre-COVID state of life? You know, that state of life where we could stand at our Christmas parties with our friends and our family and we could drink eggnog and not have to worry about wearing masks or anything like that and we could just have a good old time. Is that what we're looking to get back to? Or are we looking for something more? Are we actually looking to be changed people? Different people. People who can stand before each other and stand before God without masks on our hearts. Not pretending to be people we are not, but exposing ourselves to God and saying, God, this is who I am. And I am a sinner who has broken your commands. And I don't regret it nearly as often as I should. And so break me, God. Make me new. 
Isn't that what we're really longing for? The latter, not the former? What good will it do to get back to normal if nothing has changed about us or about our lives? Let's think of it this way. Israel was longing to go home, right? They wanted to go home. But what actually was home for them? Was it really a land? Was it a city? Was it a temple? Or was it something much more? What was it that Moses had taught them about home? Think of Moses, right? Moses spent 40 years wandering in the desert with the Israelites. Moses never set foot in the promised land, did he? He never made it. So do we say that that Moses was homeless? That Moses never found a home? Or did Moses discover that as much as you can find a home in this world, you can find it in the wilderness, and you can even find it in exile? Because home is walking with God. Home is having fellowship with God. It's doing His will. It's feeling His pleasure. It's having Him protect you from harm. Having, you pro- having Him provide for you on a daily basis. Not just daily manna, not just daily food, but daily forgiveness, daily renewal, daily love. Isn't that what Moses taught us? That home is being what? With God. Wherever that is. The Gospel of John speaks of home. In fact, it begins by speaking of home. In the beginning was the Word. You know it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was what? Was with God. That was home. That was home for the Word. To be with God. And yet... The Word, Jesus Christ, left home, didn't He? And He came to that which was His own, and His own did not receive Him. And yet He made His dwelling with us. He made His home with us. And then later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that He is going to the Father's house. I'm going away to the Father's house. And when I get there, he says, I will prepare a place for you, for my disciples, so that you can be with me where I am. So that you can be with me in the Father's house, so that you can be what? With God. So you can be home. What that means, friends, is that home is not someplace behind us. It's not someplace to get back to. Home is actually ahead of us. Home is ahead of us, with God, with the coming Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus prepare that place for us? How did he prepare that place to be with God? Well, Jesus had to go to the cross, didn't he? Jesus had to die and rise so that you and I could die and rise with him. Jesus had to do that so he could place in us a new heart, his own heart. A heart that would respond to God with joy 
and desire for him and nothing else. Without that heart, we would truly never be home. In order for us to be with God, God had to come and be with us. Ezekiel prophesied about that in chapter 36. He said, there's a day coming when God will restore his people, when he will bring them back to the land. You remember the text, perhaps. We talk about it in baptism. It says, he will sprinkle clean water on us, and he will cleanse us from all of our idolatries and all of our impurities, and he will give us a new heart to replace the old heart, to replace the heart of stone. He will give us a heart of flesh. And he goes on to a part that we don't read quite as often. And he says, and he will give you a new spirit. And what will that spirit do in us? Verse 31 of Ezekiel says it will do this. You will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds. And you shall loathe yourselves because of your iniquities and because of your abominations. In other words, what that Spirit will do is He will give us a sadness, a brokenness over our sin. The evidence, friends, of a new heart that's placed in us, the evidence of being a truly restored people, is that we will have sadness over our sin. Herman Velkamp writes that this really is what distinguishes us as God's people from the world. He says it's not that we're really less wicked than the world, but that by the grace of God we have learned to see our wickedness for what it is and that we confess our sins. The church is the only body on earth that confesses sin. The Rotary Club doesn't engage in confession of sin, the city council doesn't do it. The United Nations doesn't confess its sins, nor do senates or parliaments or anyone else for that matter. The only ones who confess their sins is the church of Jesus Christ. And when that confession of sin dies out, the church is no longer the church. When God's people are filled with the Spirit of God, they feel remorse over their sins. They see their sin and they feel shame and regret and they ask for forgiveness and newness of life. How does the Spirit do that? Well, one way the Spirit does that is by encouraging us to play dress up. Neil Planninga gives just a little example of how little children like to play dress up right? And you'll see a little girl who will put on um, a beautiful dress from her older sister, and she'll pretend that it's her wedding dress. And it's a beautiful dress, and even though she knows she's playing pretend, and she's not really that beautiful bride, it's also a really healthy thing for a child to do, because she knows that I have something that I'm growing into. There's something that I am becoming. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. He encourages us to play dress up. We read it in Colossians. Clothe yourselves 
with Jesus Christ. And put on what? Put on compassion and kindness and self-control and gentleness. All of these things dress yourselves up to look like Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Get so familiar with the person that you are in Christ that when you see yourself not living up to that, you recognize that I have sinned. And God and He alone can make me pure again and holy again and what I should be again. So again, the question comes back to what normal are we really looking for, friends? Are we simply looking to spend December 25 eating cookies and drinking eggnog and carving the roast beast with friends and family again? Is that what we want? Or, or do we want to be that bride awaiting her bridegroom? Because that's what this meal is all about. And that's what the rest of the book of Daniel points to, and that's really what all of Scripture points to, is that our bridegroom is coming. He's coming. And the question is, will we be prepared? Will we be ready? In fact, he's not just coming, but he is here. It's not just us with God, it's already God with us. And are we experiencing the full communion, the full joy of knowing that God is really with us. We have the Holy Spirit to help us do that. He will. He will. If we open ourselves to saying, Holy Spirit, show me my sin that I may get back to that place of dwelling with God. Let's come to this table fresh and new and ready for that new relationship with our God. Will you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you have come. You are with us. You have told us that you are coming again that we need to be ready and prepared. In order to do that, Lord Jesus, in order to be your waiting and expectant bride, we need the work of your Holy Spirit, taking your Holy Word and applying it to our lives that we may recognize where we have broken our covenant with you, where we have fallen short of the goal that you have for us, Lord, show us those things that we may confess our sins, that we may find fresh and new forgiveness, that we may be new creations, new creatures in Jesus Christ. Lord, yes, we want to get back to normal, but our normal is just a little further back. It goes all the way back to a garden where we had fellowship with God, walked with him and laughed with him. And Lord, you have that in store for us again. And so, Lord, bring us 
back to that place, that place which lies ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen.